Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm Jeremy Lightning, and I'm here with Michael Zarling. Uh, we thank uh, Pastor Hagen for giving us this platform on his Raised with Jesus podcast. Um, and uh, I wanted to begin by turning it over to Pastor Zarling so he could explain uh, why we didn't record last Friday uh, and air the episode on Saturday like usual. Yeah, so I was down in Kentucky at Fort Knox. I had been pastor down there for eight years, but more importantly that my daughter Miriam was at Fort Knox for her cadet summer training for ROTC, and then she had her graduation. So we were down there, and Pastor Lightning and I felt that we didn't want to do uh, do an episode recording it via Zoom. So we're going to have a couple of episodes like this, because now he and I have vacations coming up, so you, we're just going to surprise you with what day it's, it pops up on social media and in your podcasting. So today we are going to take a look at the last chapter of Nahum, and then the first three chapters of Romans. Um, I was trying to think of, as I read through this, uh, it was last week, and I remembered thinking that there was a, a pretty neat connection, actually, between Nahum 3 and uh, the beginning of Romans, um, other than that the Holy Spirit inspired both of them. Uh, but I, I can't remember quite what it was. I think it might have been this, that in Romans 1, Paul talks about uh, the wrath of God being revealed. Everybody can see, everybody on earth can tell that God is really mad at, at humankind. Uh, and and you, can, you can also see that pretty strongly here in Nahum 3, the way he is talking about Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire. Verse 1, uh, Nahum says, Woe to the city of bloodshed. Uh, one commentator writes about that. Quote, the atrocious practice of cutting off hands and feet, ears and noses, gouging out eyes, lopping off heads and then binding them to vines or heaping them up before city gates. The utter fiendishness by which captives could be impaled or flayed alive through a process in which their skin was gradually and completely removed. This planned frightfulness systematically enforced by the bloody city was now to be avenged. So... This was a very bloody city. You can see why uh, everybody was terrified of it. And uh, that the end of this chapter, well, first of all, think of Nahum standing up and preaching this. Um, Jonah went and preached to them and they actually repented. But uh, you can see why it, this wasn't the main thing that was causing him to run away from uh, the Lord's command. But uh, there probably was some nervousness about it, too, that he, he thought I could end up like one of those people. And I'm sure Nahum uh, the same way. Um, the other thing this reminded me of, uh, we always keep circling around the book of Revelation. And uh, I remember when we went through it in this past school year with my students, uh, they were kind of wondering why is it that Babylon is described both as a woman and as a city. Um, and uh, here you kind of sort of get the same picture. This isn't Babylon. Uh, this isn't the anti-church in Revelation, but it is uh, a great city that everybody sort of resents and, and is, is a, not just sort of, it's, it's 
a, a huge enemy of God's people. And maybe the comfort that you can take from it, uh, dear listener, is this, that um, this is what God says to your enemies, not your personal enemies, but the enemies to your soul, uh, sin, Satan, and, and uh, the evil world around us. And one of the enemies that Nahum brings up is verse 8. He says, Are you, Nineveh, any better than Thebes? So Thebes was a mighty Egyptian city that also was thought to be unconquerable like Nineveh because Thebes was protected by the Nile. But in 663 BC, Thebes was conquered by the Assyrian army under King Ashurbanipal. And just like... Babylon is going to be conquering Assyria. Usually I'm the history buff. You're, I'm just killing it today. You, you are. Um, and, and guess what? I am gonna, I'm going to flip-flop it on you and take over the role of the uh, comic book geek. Um, I, I was reminded of the, uh, the scene actually in uh, Iron Man where um, it, it's talk. Well, I should start with God's word. Um, It's talking about in verse 14, trample the mud and tread the clay, make mud bricks to strengthen your walls. Um, And and there he's talking to the Assyrians, the Ninevites. He's saying, uh, God is telling them, yeah, get your walls just as strong as they can be and uh, uh, fortify your cities. Because then in verse 15... Uh, verse 15, it says, there the fire will consume you. There the sword will cut you down. Um, that they, they make the, these great walls for themselves uh, to protect themselves. And they think this is what's going to save us uh, from the onslaught of, of God's wrath and our enemy armies uh, attacking us. And it's those very walls that are actually going to end up trapping them in. And what it reminded me of is that scene in... I- which Iron Man movie was it? it Might have been the second or third one where you had the the who, who's the bad guy the ma- Mandarin? Yeah, the Mandarin. Okay, but it turned out well. Spoiler alert: the Mandarin wasn't really the bad guy. It was a different bad guy that had some kind of a uh, ability to uh, make heat with his uh, hands, or, or they they. They, they could turn into mutants and, and looked like normal people, but he had Iron Man pinned down to the ground and, and he was heating up his finger on Iron Man's chest and he was calling him like, you're like a turtle trapped inside of its shell where I can just heat up your suit that you're trapped in. Uh, and in this case, the Assyrians would be like Iron Man. They're trapped inside their walls and uh, God is actually using that very weapon they thought could protect them uh, to, to destroy them. I'm so proud of you, Jeremy. It's like you're all grown up. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> so the key is with chapter three and the first two chapters also is what hope is there for Nineveh? There is no hope. It has a wound and it's fatal. It has no friends and the whole nation, all the nations around are going to rejoice with its downfall. And like you said, uh, what comfort can we take? Well, first, the comfort is we know that we need to look at ourselves and apply this in a law situation to see if are we like Nineveh with, as we'll see in, in Paul's letter, are our mouths open graves, are our mouths spitting out bloodshed? And not just our, and as well as our hands. Are we trusting in weaponry, uh, maybe not weapon weapons, but like something like Iron Man's suit or the Assyrian's brick walls uh, that could, that God could end up turning around to uh, our destruction? 
Yeah, and then, uh, but then turn it around, if we are, as Christians, looking to Christ and his forgiveness, as we're going to see in Romans in a few minutes, of Christ forgetting about our sins, him covering over our sins, then we look at this and say, hey, these three chapters are about our enemies, God's enemies, that they have no way of coming out against us and defeating us because uh, we're the ones that are storming the gates of Hades. They're not storming us. So uh, we transition now again to the New Testament, uh, now that we've finished Nahum. And uh, one of the things I had talked about with Pastor Zarling, we actually just uh, got to spend the morning, uh, he spent the uh, morning with my family watching the Racine 4th of July parade on, on July 5th, which is when we're recording this. And uh, we got to see the Lutheran Vanguard of Wisconsin march by and got to hear their uh, drum line a little bit. And uh, then we, uh, I, well, one of the things I discussed with him is that we were going to go through the book of Romans. And I wondered if it might, just for a change of pace, be a good idea not to say, now we're moving on to chapter two, or we're going to have a hard break at, at between chapters three and four, and more so talk about the overall flow of this letter. Uh, because there are a lot of things that kind of go together, and the chapter divisions don't necessarily help you uh, to see that as much. So with chapter one, uh, the first section to cover uh, is roughly um, verses uh, one through 17. And uh, Paul gives his greeting, uh, a fairly lengthy greeting. He uh, talks about himself and the Roman congregation, which we really have no reason to think that they met each other, or knew each other personally before this. Um, and then uh, he sort of sets the theme for the whole book in verses 16 and 17 uh, by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, it's all about the righteous will uh, live by faith. So uh, did you have any comments on those opening greeting lines? Well, I wanted to talk about Rom Romans uh, 1 verses 16 and 17. Like you said, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And a visible evidence was that was this weekend. Like I said, I was at... Radcliffe, Kentucky, which is right next to Fort Knox. I was blessed to be the pastor that, uh, the first pastor of the congregation, and I was assigned there out of the seminary. Uh, we had met in a storefront church, and so I took a picture of the storefront. There's another church in there. There's like 40-some, maybe 50 little itty-bitty churches all over the city and the countryside all around there. And this is another little church just like us that we started with like 15 members. And now uh, I was blessed to be there for eight years and uh, been here at Water of Life before that epiphany for 17 years. And this is the first time that I've been back to the congregation. And it was neat to have a picture taken. We had 13 people that were there. There's a lot more that are still members there from when I was pastor. And I bring it up because only about four of the people that are there now were Wells when I got there. So there's a lot of converts uh, in that neck of the woods that uh, God has blessed me with and then the two pastors that followed me. And just to be able to, to see that the three pastors, uh, very different, you know, and I was in a storefront and then 
The second pastor was able to get the church built. It's beautiful. And then the third pastor is uh, being able to take it to the next level. But it's all using that same gospel, that gospel that converts people from uh, heathens to Christians to convert them from Christians and maybe being non-denominational or holding on to false teachings than to bring them into the Wisconsin Synod and to find the truth of the gospel. What Pastor Zarling is describing uh, really makes you think of a sense of, I, I don't know if the word is nostalgia or, or wistfulness, but maybe um, a good way to think of it is joy, joy that a pastor feels from thinking about how the Holy Spirit worked through him to carry out the converting of uh, hearts to Christ and the gathering of Jesus' flock. And uh, that's kind of what Paul is discussing when he talks in these verses about how his faith is also built up. He wants to go see the Romans, not just because he wants to uh, teach them and uh, educate them in the gospel. He also says... I we both get built up. And I think of that personally with my ministry in the parish of uh, how I always said, I always told people it's wind in my sails when I can, when I, when I see a, a crowd on Sunday morning gathering, like it's easy to get caught up in thinking about the people who aren't there or who should be there. Uh, but it's also a great miracle and really more important to focus on those who are there and uh, that they are, they are, that is uplifting for the preacher, uh, just as much as hopefully his words are uplifting for the people. Um, I, I wanted to point to something really quickly in the opening verses of greeting that uh, Paul says a lot of things, uh, but uh, the one that I wanted to focus on was from uh, something that we discussed in First Peter, where you see this um, antithesis. It's this uh, uh, balance or... Um, uh, Contrast, that's a good word for it. Contrast between the words flesh and the word spirit. And uh, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit. It's talking about Jesus after his resurrection. Uh, and flesh means his time of humiliation. But this is true for all humans that we have flesh. Uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, Jesus said. Uh, and uh, that is our, our humanity, but it's also our mortality. It's our uh, weakness. It's, it's being infected with sin. And uh, what was true for Jesus is also true for us, uh, that he was resurrected in spirit. And we even now through your baptism, you have spirit. You have a new self uh, that is described as spirit uh, that Paul says you have that in common with Christ. And then verses 18 to the end, Paul talks about God's wrath uh, being shown in giving people over to their sinful nature. Uh, and then they just, because they reject the conscience and their, what they see in nature, we call that the natural knowledge of God because they reject that and reject God placing that uh, in their natural knowledge of what they see in nature and in their conscience he gives them over to their sinful flesh. And I want to talk to you, Jeremy, about uh, you know three particular videos I watched this week that I thought were interesting. One was a father uh, calling the president of a public school board, Mussolini, and reminding the entire school board that he had a right to speak against their critical race theory that they were talking about. 
The second video was a black woman who was at a spa and gave a verbal beatdown to the people in the spa because there was a naked guy in the women's bathroom uh, where there were women and little girls. And uh, he was just going in there because, you know, the, the people, uh, people could say they were yeah, identify as being transgender. And then there was also a brave 13-year-old foster child who shamed a school board over the idea that she has white privilege. But when you listen to her story, you realize that, yeah, though she's white, she has had anything but a life of privilege. And I share those stories because you and I and those who are listening know what the Bible has to say about homosexuality, uh, trans people, critical race theory, etc. They are sins that are being accepted and promoted because the sinful nature is has been allowed to run rampant. And as Christians... We have been silent for too long. We have tolerated all of this, and we've, uh, we've given this ground to the devil and to the human nature. And so we know what's normal, what's right. And uh, right now, what's, being, what's normal, what's accepted, you and I have accepted for normal and those that have gone before us for generations, that is, is being called shameful. Uh, but in reality, it's the shameful sins that Paul mentions in Romans 1 that should be denigrated. But again, we as Christians have been silent for too long, and it's time to speak up and speak the truth in love. Not being rude, not being heartless, but we need to be strong and defiant, loving, working to save people from themselves by giving them Jesus' gospel and his righteousness. Uh, and I like this statement that we need a little courage now, Otherwise, we're going to need a lot of courage later on. The point of uh, chapter one uh, in, is really that uh, when you ignore data from God, uh, and, and I say data because I don't want to say words, uh, God doesn't really speak. He does speak to us through nature and through the natural world, um, but those words are not clear enough to uh, tell us about salvation. They certainly can't tell us that there was a man named Jesus. That's why we need his written word. Uh, but he does send us data that we can use to discern messages and to make informed decisions. And the whole point of chapter one is that when you ignore data from God, like uh, natural sexual biology, um, he says, okay, have it your way. And he actually then hands you over. Uh, this is what Paul's point is. He hands these uh, people over when they ignore the sex ed that their own bodies are giving them. Uh, Paul then says, uh, God hands them over and says, you're now going to want even more of that. You're going to ignore even more data from me. Uh, and uh, you're going to become blinded. Um, and what happens throughout these opening three chapters of his letter is that Paul gets a lot of his audi audience nodding along with him when he is condemning homosexuality. That's what he's doing in chapter one. He's saying, uh, you people all know that homosexuality is wrong. And he gets, he gets his audience on board with him, these Romans, and then uh, he sort of turns the tables on them because uh, the next group of people that he talks to in, in chapter two are, uh, we would maybe call them 
um, secular, uh, uh, moral, moral secular people, uh, that they can tell the difference between right and wrong, uh, that they, they think this world is going to hell in a handbasket, and there's a lot of problems with the transgender, LGBTQ um, mentality, and uh, they are really saying in, in their minds, you can picture them saying, yeah, you give it to them, Paul. You tell them, uh, you tell those, uh, you know, those, those homosexuals what's right and what's wrong. And Paul then turns on them and says, uh, yeah, you, you people are without excuse uh, if you think that you're upstanding right and moral citizens um, because uh, God, God has a, a strict rule that condemns homosexuality and that same strict rule condemns uh, a lot of the things that you do just as much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Paul is writing to cultures that are very similar to what we're experiencing in America right now. Uh, Rome, the city of Rome and its territories. Corinth was very much like that, too, as a seaport city with homosexuality and sexual prostitution and so forth. And so, yeah, he talks about that. And then he transitions, as you said, to the first few verses you know, are you without excuse? Are you thinking you'll escape God's judgment? And uh, we can apply this to us. You know, if we look down on those that are living in any kind of sexual sin, whether it's uh, a guy and a guy or two ladies or unmarried uh, heterosexual couple, whatever it is, they're trapped in that sin. And then we look at ourselves and say, well, I'm not trapped. I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't get married that way. You know, I, I, I was upstanding in the way that I got, I found my spouse or. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they're trapped in the sins of the flesh. And then we look at, you know, we're kind of like the Pharisee looking over at the tax collector in the corner, say, thank you, God, that I'm not like that sinner over there. And then we're just trapped uh, in the sin of our self-righteousness in our minds. So they're trapped in the sins of the flesh. We're trapped in the sins of our heart and mind. A good verse to wrap this uh, all together would be uh, verse 11. God, in chapter 2, God does not show favoritism. Uh, people who sinned uh, without law uh, will perish without law, and all people who have sinned in connection with law will be judged by law. So whether you knew it was against God's law or not, uh, it's still a sin. And uh, even uh, if you do, it did know God's law and what's right and wrong, uh, you didn't keep it perfectly. You know, I often think maybe I would like to try to write a modern version of Paul's letter to the Romans uh, using some more modern applications. And I think what the way I would like to do it is if I'd ever get this chance, uh, after I get done with, uh, the first part in chapter one, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, it is, a, a, the righteous will live by faith. And then he starts that whole, the wrath of God is being revealed section. And he uses the example of homosexuality because he knows all of these people reading his letter in ancient Rome would all agree as a society, this is a bad thing. Homosexuality is bad. Um, I think today, instead of homosexuality, what I would use is uh, racism. And I would say, it's, you know who's really bad? Those, those racists out there, those bigots who think that skin color uh, is what uh, elevates or denigrates people. And, uh, and you can picture the whole society agreeing with me. Yeah, that is bad. They'd all nod their heads. And then, and then I would say, you know who's just as bad as racists? 
the people who are culturally sensitive. Uh, and then uh, Paul m moves into uh, some thoughts in chapter two and in chapter three, where if I was writing my modern letter to the Romans, I would say, uh, I would direct these words to uh, conservative Lutherans, because that's kind of what Paul does when he says, uh, do you think that you Jews are uh, any more special or because you're a member of the church or you're, you go to the congregation, you gather with God's people, does that uh, exempt you uh, just by belonging to the right uh, outward organization? And before we move on, then I want to focus on verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2 when Paul talks about the conscience. Uh, he says that, in fact, the Gentiles who don't have the written law of Moses, like the Jews do, they do by nature what the law requires. That's because they have the law written on their hearts and their conscience bears witness to them, but sometimes it defends them. And so a way of talking about that is like the check engine light on your vehicle. Uh, so the check engine light is on in one of my daughter's vehicles. She's sure it's just changing the oil, but you don't know for sure. So a good way to fix that is you just take some black electrical tape and you put it over, over that annoying light. I don't recommend that. No, don't, yeah, don't take any uh, car repair, automotive repair uh, tips from me. But I've known people that have done that. And that's the way that they do that with a conscience. You know, the conscience is burdening them, and so eventually they just ignore it enough, and, uh, you know, now their conscience is defending them. And, and that's what you're talking about with homosexuality, but it can also be with any other type of sin. You do it often enough, now it doesn't seem so bad, it doesn't even bother you. And so don't ignore that warning light in your vehicle, but don't ignore the warning light of your conscience either. It's telling you there's something wrong. And that's what we look at in the first part of chapter three. And then just like you take your vehicle to the mechanic and they test and they find out what is specifically wrong. And that's the neat thing. When you take your vehicle over to the, to the auto mechanic, they'll, they've got their computer and they'll plug it in and they, this is exactly what's wrong. And then this is a way to fix it. The conscience is kind of like that general check engine like something's wrong now you have to look at and use the mirror of the law to find out what's wrong and now there's going to be the specific gospel uh, to repair it and another good point as long as we're talking about all this law when it comes to that check engine light the check engine light does not fix the problem the, that uh, uh, it's, it's sort of another analogy would be of uh, uh, the it's, it's also car related, but there, there could be a, a road sign in, in a mountainous highway telling you that uh, there is a, a bridge out coming up uh, on that highway. And you, you are picture yourself being in a car where the brakes no longer work um, and you are speeding at, uh, uh, you know, 60 miles an hour. Uh, down this mountain highway where the bridge is out ahead, and there's a sign telling you that the bridge is out, but uh, that sign is not going to fix the brakes on your car. And the same thing is true for this law. All of this law, as much as we might tell people, uh, 
don't engage in homosexual behavior, don't have uh, covetous thoughts in your mind, uh, don't steal, don't murder, don't hate. As much as you tell people that, that just telling them that is like putting up a sign saying that they are headed for a, a broken out bridge uh, at a high rate of speed. Uh, they, they need a miracle, and that's what the gospel is, to fix the brakes so that uh, they can be saved. And then with with chapter three, he goes on to talk about uh, just comparing yourself to the law. That we're all guilty of sin. Is there anything you wanted to focus on in those first few well, verses? Well, I think again, just to make my point about uh, conservative Lutherans a little bit clearer, is think that's what you need to think of uh, if you're a conservative Lutheran or whatever conservative-minded church body you probably belong to. I'd be very surprised if we have. Uh, progressive people listening to our podcast, but uh, uh, this is what Paul is saying. Uh, He's saying, uh, you know who else is, he says, you know who's bad? The racists and bigots in my modern letter that I'm imaginary writing in my head. Uh, he's, he says, you know who's bad are those, those bigots and racists who judge by skin color. You know who else is bad? The culturally sensitive people uh, who think that they can condemn the racists when they themselves uh, are breaking all kinds of God's laws. And then you know who else is really bad? Those conservative Lutherans who go to church every Sunday. Uh, because that, uh, and, and then imagine that he would start writing these things about baptism and saying, you think you're, you think you're saved just because you're, you went through a water ritual. Uh, that would sort of be how it, without, understand me correctly. Do you think that you're saved just because you did the work of going through a water ritual? You, you think that you can pat yourself on the back for getting baptized, um, uh, Baptism saves you if you trust in it, but uh, for those who uh, think that it's just like a hocus pocus uh, magic formula that you don't really understand it, um, this is th- this is what Paul is saying about circumcision. He's saying, uh, yes, circumcision does make you part of God's people, but not if you just get it done and then forget about it. Circumcision makes you God's child. Uh, if you grow in your relationship uh, through that Old Testament sacrament. And we won't talk about circumcision very much, but because the book of Galatians made it clear that that's uh, something that has been set aside, so that makes it a little bit different from baptism. But uh, there, there is a lot of overlap here. Yeah, and what you're talking about there is, I'm sure you've heard this and I've heard it, when someone... Uh, after church, shaking hands, said, oh, pastor, that was a really good sermon. I really wish my brother or I wish my neighbor would have heard that sermon. That would have been a perfect one for them. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He says, all are guilty of sin. Uh, there's no one righteous, not even one. And then the the last few verses of chapter three, there we want to spend some time on that one. So I want to tell you a story first. So my daughter, Miriam, has been down the last six weeks at Fort Knox for her cadet summer training for ROTC. And she had a rough time down there because she flew down with three bags and one of them was lost. The airline lost it. So that was the first thing. And then while she's there, you know, it's Kentucky heat and humidity. 
and they're doing these six-mile rucks and then finish with a 12-mile ruck. And if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a jog, but with like 35 pounds in your backpack. So imagine doing that for six to 12 miles. Uh, and she, she was throwing up the one day, and they thought it was heat stroke and dehydration, but it was that she was missing uh, some of the medicine that was in the lost bag. And they told her she was going to have to be in the hospital for 48 hours, and then she'd be recycled. She'd have to go with a whole new regiment, and that was the people she got to know, for uh, another five days. And then the, the major, oh, and then she had texted my wife, Shelly, and said that she was missing her PC while she was uh, in the hospital. So when the major called last week to say that we could come to graduation, I was, he said, well, you know, Miriam is really resilient. And I said, well, that's good because of the lost bag and getting sick. And then that she had her uh, personal computer stolen. She, he goes, what? And he said, yeah, uh, that Miriam had texted my wife that her PC was stolen. So her personal computer was stolen. And he goes, that makes me so mad. Well, he went and talked to Miriam, and she said, I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. He said, your dad said that your personal computer was stolen. I am going to just lay into everyone in your regiment. She said, my computer's at home. I texted my mom that my PC was missing. Well, PC is, does not stand like the rest of us normal humans for personal computer. It's, it stands for her patrol cap. Well, the major thought that was the funniest story. So instead of berating everyone, he had to tell that story to everyone. And the reason I tell that story is terms are important. Definitions are important. And Paul, in verses 21 and following, just lays out all of these terms. So Pastor Lightning and I, we're going to talk about these terms. So verse 21, righteousness. What is that? Well, uh I would tell you, but uh, I actually wanted to back up. Oh man! There's okay. one. There's one. Well, you you set the, you set up with defining terms, okay. and I think that is a good point uh, because even before in verse twenty, uh, you you get the greatest definition for what law is. Okay. It is to make known, it makes sin known. It's not to fix you. You don't give commands to uh, Im impute righteousness or to impart righteousness. Uh, it is simply to make sin known. And uh, the other thing is, I, I wanted to uh, draw attention to the fact that um, this making known in verse 21 really corresponds to uh, verse 18 in chapter one, that one thing everybody can see throughout the whole world is that God is mad at us as, as a race, as a human species. That's being revealed from heaven. Everybody can see God's wrath. One thing that has to be revealed uh, through God's word, the only, the only way to find out God's righteousness is through God's word. The law and the prophets testify to it. And uh, I also wanted to do a little bit of setup on this because uh, the teacher that I had at the seminary who taught us the book of Romans uh, really connected with me personally uh, when he said, uh, if you've ever been to like a professional basketball game, which I had, I got to see Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the 90s. Uh, and uh, as a little, you know, fourth grade kid, this is the most amazing thing when they announce the starting lineup 
of the uh, uh, home team, the, the Chicago Bulls, and uh, all the, the lights in the whole stadium go down, and there are these little flash bulbs, of, you know, cameras flickering all over the place, and uh, the announcer, the, the music starts, and the announcer says, and now the starting lineup for your own, and Chicago Bulls, and that is really what Paul is doing with the beginning of verse 21. Uh, it's like the starting lineup of the home team with, uh, you know, Van Halen music playing in the background or whatever it is that you would prefer. Uh, that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, I've, I've completely wiped out everybody on earth with the law and condemned everyone. It, it's total darkness. And then uh, the, the music starts and uh, everybody gets excited because there is this righteousness from God that has nothing to do with keeping the law. Um, so uh, let me throw it back to you. What is righteousness? Well, yeah, and go through the, these verses, and I want to read them and then explain them, just like you and I would do in class with people, because these are, I think, the key verses. That's why I told that story, and you told your story, is we have to know these, these verses. Uh, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. You have to read Romans and then read it again. Uh, the Gospels and Romans, that's, that's going to be your understanding. And these are verses, I think, not only read, but memorize. Uh, but now completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been named, made known. Uh, so like you said, Jeremy, is you're not going to be righteous with what you do. The righteousness comes from God, being right with God. And that's made known apart from the law, not by keeping the law. It's made known because it's revealed to us. Uh, verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. If you want to take, take uh, that verse. Well, uh, the I, I guess I, I think of with righteousness the... Um, three kinds of righteousness that uh, Luther talked about. Um, there's there's righteousness in the eyes of society, uh, and that's that's Im that's important that we look like good citizens to the outside world. But that's not what makes us right with God. There's also God's own righteousness that b that makes Him perfect all by Himself, even if He would never create or save humankind. And then this is the righteousness where He says. Uh, I, I am going to give rightness to you. Uh, it, it, another way would be describing it as holiness or perfection. Um, maybe, maybe what you were referring to getting into is um, the different pictures in these verses of, uh, well, what, what, what did you turn over to me just there? I, I, I don't think I <laughs> This is righteousness on it. comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not a righteousness being right with God. It's not something you and I can earn. Uh, it, it comes through faith. I remember asking someone in class one time, I said, you know, we've gone through all these classes and I said, this is the most important question of anything I've asked you. If you get this one wrong, we have to do it all again. How are you saved? And they said, well, it's by what you do. It's by being right with God. I said, no. I said, and they, they were former Catholics. Said, That's your Catholic upbringing coming through. Drive them back to verse 22. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. He gives you his righteousness. Uh, then there's the law. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Every one of us are included. That's the one thing that we all have in common, that we're all sinners. But the other thing we have in common is that we're all saved. We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as the atonement seat through faith in his blood. So like when Miriam was laughing at me for not understanding what a PC was, I said, well, uh, I am in the Wisconsin Synod and we have our own acronyms. And I said, I'm the chairman of the, uh, I'm the chairman of the uh, DMB of the SEW of the WELS. And sometimes I work with the JMC and sometimes I work with the JCM. Okay. I'm not going to explain all those acronyms to you, but there's a lot of definition to each of those words and there's definitions to each of these words. And you and I can maybe take turns talking about this justified justified is that we're declared innocent. It's a courtroom scene. Uh, then it moves on to the temple scene where you have the atonement seat. Uh, once per year, the, the Jewish people had to appear in Jerusalem and uh, the great day of atonement was when um, the high priest would take a bowl full of blood and go into the uh, Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant because what happened was God told them to put the Ten Commandments into the Ark of the Covenant along with Moses' staff that had budded and a jar of manna uh, and the idea was that God is seated above his ark and he's looking down at the law in the two tablets of the Ten Commandments and he sees how much we have broken them uh, and he's angry. But when he sees the blood of a sacrifice being sprinkled over top of that uh, lid to the ark, uh, he sees that there is blood covering up the broken commandments and he is appeased. He, our sin is atoned for. And right before that is the word redemption. Uh, it means bought back, that you and I belonged to the devil. And Jesus paid the price with his innocent suffering and death, not with gold or silver, but with that innocent suffering and death. Uh, and that's what Jesus did when he cried out on the cross to tell us, die, it is finished. Uh, it's the receipt. Uh, just before we... Uh, started recording, I was uh, sending in receipts to the mission board uh, for meals that I paid for for the district mission board meetings. Uh, it said it's been paid in full. Here's the receipt. And Jesus dying on the cross and then his resurrection is he paid for it. And then his resurrection is the receipt, redemption. So you've got the courtroom where you were guilty and God declared you not guilty. You've got the slave market. That's the, the receipt talk of redemption uh, where you were, you were enslaved to the devil, but Jesus paid the price to set you free from that slavery. And then you've got the temple uh, picture of atonement with blood covering the broken commandments. And, uh, and then it ends by, uh, the chapter ends by saying that, um, uh, God is still just. He he doesn't just sweep our sins under the rug and forget about them. He actually has to pay a price in order to uh, bring bring balance to our sinfulness uh, with His Son and, and Jesus' sacrifice. 
But how do you receive that? Uh, I I think that's maybe what you were asking me before was more so about the word faith. And that's kind of what chapter four talks about. Well, before we get there, I think uh, verse 28 is so important too. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith without the works of the law. And I think that's important because how are we justified? And that's how I asked those two ladies in the class. And they said, well, by what you do, by works of the law. He said, Paul says, no, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, When Martin Luther translated this verse into the German, uh, well, he would have added in the Latin, sola fide, uh, by faith alone. It's not by the works that we do. It's only by believing. And the works we do, that's what we do after we have faith. But that's not how we're justified. It's not how we're redeemed. It's not how we're atoned for. All of that comes from God through Christ. You and I receive it through faith. Well, as long as you brought us back to that verse, uh, I want to ask you, um, this is this is kind of important because it, it's easy in a lot of uh, Lutheran splinter group circles to get sidetracked by that word faith uh, and have a misunderstanding of it. Um, what is the first commandment? To... Trust in God above all things. Okay. Faith in God above all things. So uh, we are not justified uh, because of faith. This is actually Mm. my point that um, it's not an act of believing that gets you forgiveness of sins. Uh, It is uh, you you already have the forgiveness of sins and uh, God invites you to believe it because there's there's a very specific way that the, the Greek language says because of faith and that never appears in this whole book of Romans. Uh, Paul never says because of faith. He always says through faith. So it, it's kind of like a, uh, uh, I always illustrate it as a trick or treat bag that, that is filled with candy. If you don't have the bag, you're not going to have any candy, but also it's not so much the bag itself that uh, is what you care about. You, you care about what's inside the bag. Um, and, and it, with our faith, it's the same way you, uh, it's not you without the, faith, you don't really have Jesus or salvation at all. Um, But let's not get fixated on the faith. Let's get fixated on what the faith contains, that is Christ. See, the way I usually illustrate it is that, you know, talk about your crazy uncle Jimmy, because everyone's got a crazy uncle, whatever his name is. And the way I illustrate it is that if your crazy uncle Jimmy says uh, in his will that he left you and the rest of your uh, siblings and your cousins, a million dollars for each of you. Well, all of your cousins think that, well, he's just crazy Uncle Jimmy. But you uh, believe in him and you go to the bank and you make a, a deposit or I mean, you take money out of the bank, a withdrawal, and then you make use of it because you believed in Uncle Jimmy. You had faith in him and now you make use of it. And whatever you took out and you spent, there's always a million dollars there. You go and you tell your siblings and your cousins, some of them believe you, they go check it out, and they make use of it, others don't. That's what faith is in Jesus Christ, that we have this bank account where God has put our uh, forgiveness of sins, our millions of dollars, and you and I have been blessed by the Holy Spirit to believe in that, make use of it, 
Others have been told it's in their conscience too, as we talked about before, and they don't want to make use of it. But your, yours and my job as lay people and pastors is just to keep reminding people it's there and make use of it. So uh, all of chapter four gives you a good example of uh, somebody who looked at God uh, and the rest of the world would say God is a crazy Uncle Jimmy. Uh, and Abraham and Sarah looked at what God said to them and said, no, I think I think I trust what he's saying. I think I uh, will buy into or, or believe what he has promised. So uh, just imagine Abram and Sarah uh, hearing God say, you're going to have children even when you are senior citizens. Uh, you're going to own this piece of real estate in between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, even when uh, they were wandering around and camping on other people's property all the time. Um, you, your sins are forgiven and, and you are going to be, uh, you're going to live eternally in heaven. Uh, that looks like the opposite of true when you go to a funeral. And, uh, and Abraham is a great example throughout chapter four of listening to what God said and saying, you, you sound to some people like a crazy uncle Jimmy, but, uh, I'm going to cash in on this uh, wonderful gift that you've promised. And this is a gift that Paul says is made for all nations, not just the Jews, but for all nations. And as we celebrated this weekend, the 245th anniversary of America, uh, it's important for us too, I think, to remember that God is not an American and uh, that uh, we have to be very careful as pastors, as churches, and so forth to equate uh, patriotism with faith. I think it's good to be uh, patriots and thank God for our nation and thank God that we have a nation like this where we're free to worship. But uh, we need to make sure that uh, we are understanding that God is a God of all nations and we're sharing the gospel with all nations. And this is coming from a guy who's wearing a U.S. Army biking suit and uh, just uh, has a daughter who uh, went through basic training. Uh, so uh, he is certainly he's certainly no uh, hater of America. Oh, no. Uh, but I think but, it, but that, that is a fantastic point it, that it, I really couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's something that I think churches need to wrestle with. I'm not I'm not going to take the time to wrestle with this here on the podcast. It's to think about, you know, why do churches have American flags inside the sanctuary? And is that a good idea? Uh, is it a good idea then on the 4th of July to thank God uh, inside our churches for our nation to the exclusion of the other nations? Uh, I just had a conversation with another pastor, uh, because someone had come to the church and said that he was leaving the church because they weren't conservative enough. Well, we in the Wisconsin said we're pretty conservative. And so the pastor said, you mean our teachings? He said, no, you know what I mean. Well, the pastor challenged him and said, you mean we're not Republican enough? And you can do that with Democrats mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. But that's what this person was is, uh, in the church, that they weren't political enough. And, and that's a danger here. And, uh, Paul reminds us that we're all included in one nation. And that's what he was reminding the Jews of, that they weren't all included uh, 
as God's children because they were circumcised and were children of Abraham. They were children of God because they were given and granted faith in Christ. And that's what you and I need to celebrate, not that we're Americans. And and uh, verse 17 makes that point by saying, as it is written to, to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. Uh, there, there are all kinds of, uh, the, the faith of Abraham goes beyond political borders and political borders are, are important, uh, but they are not what define you as a member of God's uh, spiritual household. Um, the ending of chapter four, uh, I won't spend a ton of time on, but I did want to at least talk a little bit about how um, God calls non-existing things so that they exist. Uh, and uh, also a little bit about the last verse that Jesus was handed over to death because of our trespasses and was raised to life because of our justification. Uh, I think both of those things are great. Uh, first of all, great Easter thoughts. And uh, second of all, uh, general wonderful Christian thoughts to discuss. Uh, did, did you have uh, thoughts on either of them that you wanted to bring I'll up? I'll let you talk about the first verse, and then we can conclude with oh, just, that verse. Just 25. that the same way that uh, God made the whole world just by speaking and that before he spoke, there was nothing. He, he existed all by himself. Uh, not even time, uh, you could say existed. Uh, and then by speaking, he made something appear out of nothing. That's also how he creates faith in our hearts. There's nothing there. There's no, uh, spark or of goodness or, uh, a little movement of your spirit that, that, God starts with to work faith in you. He says, let there be faith and faith is there out of nothing. Yeah. Verse 25, he was handed over to death because of our trespasses. Uh, this emphasizes the fact that God allowed his son to die so that uh, we, uh, he could take our sins upon himself. And then he was raised to life because of our justification uh, we might paraphrase it this way. Jesus was handed over to death because we had sinned and he was raised to life because he had justified us. Uh, that terminology of Good Friday and Easter Sunday of his crucifixion and resurrection, they are tied, like we said before in the previous chapter, of uh, paying the price and then receiving the receipt. The, the courtroom, this is the justification is the courtroom picture where the judge declares you not guilty, even though you were guilty. Uh, and th th I, this is such a great verse to, to make that same point because it's easy. I mentioned Lutheran splinter groups before uh, that will get sidetracked by the word faith and uh, they will actually end up saying things that sound a lot like uh, in my ears, they are saying you, you're not justified until you believe. And then once you believe justification comes to you and here, Paul makes the point in verse 25 that our th th our justification existed before and just as much, uh, or not before, but just as much as our trespasses did. Um, that uh, God, yeah, before, that, that is right, our justification. God declared us not guilty uh, from eternity. Uh, and because he did that, he he had to raise Jesus from the dead. Uh, he was put to death because we sinned and he was, uh, Jesus was raised to life because God had declared us not guilty of our sin. All right. Anything else? I, 
I, I hereby say amen. All right. So next week, we'll spend some more time in Rome. I think we'll be able to record it yet this week. Then the following week will be iffy because I'll be on vacation. But uh, we're going to spend more time in Rome. And since I've run out of lightning puns, uh, I'm going to be going with superheroes and villains that have to do with lightning. So you'd have to think about how these all tie in. Uh, so this is Pastor Zarling with Thor, the god of thunder. Uh, stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.